Hey, welcome to the Ministry Minds Podcast. My name is Ben White. I am so happy to have you here with us today on the podcast. The Ministry Minds Podcast is a place where we get to have practical, down-to-earth conversations with our guests on the topics of life, leadership, and ministry. Super pumped to have you here with us today. You know, you're not going to believe this, but I was actually listening to another podcast. (laughs) And their tagline is, I kid you not, life, leadership, and ministry. That's that's what they talk about. So (laughs) I promise you, I did not steal that from that podcast. I came up with that all on my own. And I am not saying that they stole that from me because I'm just assuming They came up with that on their own, but that is crazy that we both came up with the exact same tagline. Uh, But hey, it's a big world and, uh, you know, sometimes people just think of the same things. Or maybe what happened is I was digging deep in my subconscious and uh, somehow I just pulled it out of something I had heard or whatever. And, uh, you know, that's probably... (laughs) (laughs) more likely. Have you ever been say something or do something and you're not really sure where it comes from, but then you're just like, you know, I'm pretty sure I pulled that from somewhere, but you know, you read so much and listen to so many podcasts and, and, uh, you know, glean from teachers and YouTube videos and, and, uh, you know, just all, all over the place. You know, I mean, you're inevitably going to overlap at some time, but anyways, I thought that was pretty funny and I'm not going to say what the name of the podcast is because you're listening to this one. <laughs> but maybe we will have the host of that podcast on our podcast for a guest someday. I think that'd be super cool. So anyways, once again, thank you for joining us and uh, super excited about our guest today, Pastor um, Tim Christensen. I believe that's how you say it. I always uh, am a little fuzzy on how exactly you pronounce it, but uh, I'm really pumped about this conversation. I really enjoyed it uh, about administration, about volunteers, just about a lot of different things that I think is going. I mean, this is on one of my top lists of most helpful podcasts that I think I've ever done. And uh, I just enjoyed uh, doing it as well as listening back over to it. So I know you're going to enjoy it. Hey, if you could do us a huge favor, jump over on your podcast app, whatever podcast app you use, rate and review the podcast. I'd really be grateful. I, I seriously would. And, uh, you know, we do these for free. Uh, we just take our own time. And when I say we, I mean me, like I'm literally the only one that does it, but <laughs> I don't know why I say we, because nobody else does it. Uh, but you know, uh, rating and review the podcast, can go uh, be a huge help and just, um, you know, I'd be thankful for it. And then really the key is that it will help more people getting uh, access to this uh, material and to these interviews. So if you could do that, I would be grateful. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, jump into our conversation with our guest, Tim Christensen. Pastor Tim, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. I'm really glad to be here with you, Ben. Awesome. Uh, One of the reasons I've really been looking forward to having Pastor Tim on, and I was just telling him this uh, before we started recording, is that he's going to be sharing with us uh, some some helps and some uh, just some of the things that he's learned over the years when it comes to structure and when it comes to processes in ministry. It's something uh, he seems to be very gifted at. And the reason I'm looking forward to it so much is because this is probably one of my weakest areas of ministry, and um, I, it's okay because I recognize it, and it's something I'm constantly trying to grow in, but it definitely does not come naturally to me. So whenever I can talk with someone that is experienced or is just gifted in this area, I always glean so much information, so I'm really looking forward to having this conversation today. Pastor Tim has been married since 1997. Good grief. You're a fossil, man. <laughs> yeah, 23 years. <laughs> 23 years. You're, you've been married as long as some people, uh, the age of some of our uh, guests that are, are some of our uh, podcast listeners. So <laughs> um, he has uh, uh, some wonderful children. How many children do you got now? Four. Four children. Three. What are their ages? 20 and 18. And then I have a big gap. And then we adopted our second two kids, or our second pair. Um, Grant is uh, just about to turn 10, and Monroe is six. We're, uh, they're, all four of them are just awesome. What led you guys to adopt? That's so interesting. 
Well, after our second born, uh, McKinley, uh, we, we wanted to get expecting again after a few years and, uh, we didn't. And a couple of, you know, a couple of years turned into eight and, uh, we were always interested in adoption and just slowly explored it. And then the Lord crossed our paths with an expectant mother about the time that we decided it was time to start taking steps to get ready. And, uh, we actually have had a couple of failed attempts. But um, that's all under the providence and sovereignty of God. And uh, so, yeah, we, we were thankful. Grant is um, almost 10, and uh, he was born in Bakersfield, California. Wow. Monroe uh, is six, and she was born in Lancaster, California. Uh, in both cases, we met their uh, expectant moms uh, while they were carrying them. And, um, and it was a really, really extraordinary thing to be a part of, and we're thankful for it. And we get to see other people take that step as well and uh, mentor them along the way or encourage them along the way, both in our church here and in California. And uh, that's been rewarding to be a part of. So, yeah, but all four of our kids are just really, really a source of joy and encouragement to us. Man, that's awesome. My wife and I have really been praying about adoption, and we really feel like the Lord will probably— uh, be leading us that direction. So maybe we'll have to, maybe we'll have to oh, yeah. chat another time on, uh, on adoption and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we literally have no idea what we're doing or where to begin. And, uh, but I just, I love adoption. I think it's such an incredible, um, you know, I think God also puts it in the hearts. We actually talked about adoption before we even got married. And so it's something we've always had in our hearts and, and, uh, that we felt God leading us to do. And we do feel like at this time, probably coming up soon, that we'll probably start pursuing that. And then it's exciting, and it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. That's exactly what I was just about to say. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was. Uh, it's such a beautiful picture of the gospel because you know, I mean, I thought one of the things that we really are praying to do. Sorry, this isn't what the episode was supposed to be on, but we'd love to adult adopt a you know and just have a multicultural family. And, uh, and so, you know, our goal would be that if people see it, obviously that's something that sticks out. And every time somebody would say something, we could just be like, yeah, this is actually just a picture of what Christ has done for us and what the gospel is and just open up so many more opportunities to share the gospel just through having a multicultural family. So that's, that's kind of our, um, our vision and our, our goal. So that's pretty cool. I love hearing about adoptions. That's so awesome. Yeah, before we move on from that, I'll just make one book recommendation, a book called Adopted for Life mm. by Russell Moore, and uh, that was an encouragement to us along the way. And there are several other titles that we could recommend, but that's the one I would say is um, worth mentioning. Man, that sounds, that's awesome. I just wrote it down. Uh, I'm going to have to get it. My wife and I will have to have to go through that. A Pastor Tim recommendation. You know it's going to be good. <laughs> uh, so uh, Pastor Tim. Uh, he, him and his wife were both Michigan natives, but they actually, um, he went to college down at crown college, uh, down in Tennessee, great college. And, uh, there he earned his bachelor of Bible studies, uh, with a major in pastoral ministries. And then pastor Tim, uh, moved out to California with his wife. Uh, correct. Did you guys marry, uh, in Tennessee? We got married in Michigan, and uh, we, we met in Tennessee, got married in Michigan, and moved to California the week after our honeymoon. Okay, so, and then when he moved out to California, he was at Lancaster Baptist Church, and for those of you that are listening that know Lancaster, or maybe don't, uh, it's a it's a fair-sized church, and uh, they run um, West Coast Baptist Bible College out there, great Bible college, I have many good friends that either serve there or have graduated from there. And while he was there at Lancaster, um, he had he served in a multitude of areas, including children's ministry, uh, adult small groups network, uh, building expansion programs, the annual spiritual leadership conference, which is a huge conference, which I've never been to, but I have been wanting to go to that for a long time. Unfortunately, Michigan and California aren't really that close, but uh, someday I'm going to get out to that. And uh, he also served as the administration in the church offices. Now, that's quite a lot, Pastor Tim. I didn't do all those at the same time. <laughs> but for, those, uh, for the first 18 years. 
So tell me what were some of your responsibilities? What did that look like? I mean, I mean, that's obviously very broad because you were there for 18 years, but kind of walk us through what, you know, maybe even near the end, what are some of the things you're responsible for as the ministry is, is continuing on? What was your part of making sure that engine was running smoothly? Well, probably the, the thing that I did for the longest, kind of in the middle season of my 18 years there was look after adult discipleship, assimilation, and small groups or adult Sunday school. Uh, and that was very rewarding to be a part of because you're kind of on the front, you know, front row seat, seeing people come to Christ, uh, be welcomed into the church, be baptized and get connected in small groups and, and adult, adult groups. We, we called them a bunch of different things over the course of the of the years, um, but it was basically adult Sunday school and uh, adult uh, small groups, and um, it was a blessing to you know because I got to get to know people as they were taking their first steps as new believers. So that was really special. Um, I taught in the Christian school a little bit my first few years. Um, I looked after the children's ministry the first few years, uh, passed that baton to someone else when I transitioned to serving in the adult ministry. And then actually I passed the baton of the adult ministries on to uh, a person who's uh, extremely capable, Gabe Rule, who's still there today, uh, doing that. And uh, and I did other things. Uh, my role in the last several years was more administrative in nature in the pastoral offices, uh, looking after uh, and meeting with the church staff, uh, working with those who were responsible for human resources, budget, things of that nature, um, looking after building programs. and uh, anything that was sort of a church-wide initiative uh, from, a, from an administrative level out of sort of the pastor's office. So. Mm. How did you uh, end up in that role of really doing a lot of administrative things? Just trial trial and error, and just as the message was very good at knowing kind of what the next shift should be among the staff, and among the, the various components of the responsibilities that the staff shared. And uh, it, it was a great mentoring environment as far as bringing new people in and uh, either young guys or people from other ministries and giving them responsibility. And then I would just say, um, because the ministry was growing and because there were always things to work on next, um, there was, just sort of a working through the different roles and kind of backfilling those roles and training the next generation of leaders. And um, Pastor Chapel was good at sort of discerning strengths in what areas and helping them gravitate toward or receive more responsibility where those strengths were. Mm. And part of it was also the things off of his plate. The last couple of years uh, sort of on his behalf so he didn't have to look after the building program also um, the capital campaign to raise the funds for those programs and uh, things like the spiritual leadership conference or other initiatives throughout the church with respect to fall campaigns spring campaigns things of that nature that a lot of times in a medium-sized church the pastor would look after himself but um, because of the, the the nature of the ministry there uh, he needed help with that type of thing. Yeah. Do you think that's one that's uh, something every leader should develop is being able to discern people's different gifts and abilities and plug them into where they're gifted? Absolutely. I think that's a real key for leadership and uh, inviting feedback from those people uh, and looking at their strengths and weaknesses. Someone spoke says that um, there's many members of one body. Not everybody has the same office. And it's not that some people are better than other people. It's that some people are different than other people. And yeah. that's the beauty of the body, right? That different people have different strengths and have something different to offer. And every strength has its own built-in weaknesses too. And so helping people uh, not only shore up their weaknesses, which is part of the solution, but really gravitate toward their strengths is the, is the more important uh, part of the strategy. And I, I think that's, I think that's the beauty of the local church. Yeah. How do you, as a leader, because this is something I'm always trying to grow in, discern people's different giftedness and those different things in their lives. Um, how do you do that? How do you discern? You know, there might be people out there, they're like, I have no idea who's good at what. 
or even how to begin to discern that. And I know that you have grown a lot in that area. How, how do you do that? How do you discern where people are gifted at and then utilize them in that way? Well, Proverbs says that the shepherd should know the state of his flock. And I think you just need to get to know people and you need to slow down and have conversations and you need to look for clues as to what people are thriving in or stumbling mm. through and let that be a clue. And then, you know, there are some tests you can take. Um, there are a wide variety of personality tests and uh, the Enneagram is pop popular right now. And uh, certain personalities, certain uh, strengths gravitate towards certain roles in the in the work of the Lord. Um, uh, the, Romans 12 lists several gifts in verses 6 through 8. And I think if you have the gift of ruling or leading versus the gift of serving or ministering versus the gift of teaching, uh, that those are probably going to lead you to maybe a slightly different role. And I, I think as it's okay that trial and error is a part of it. Yeah. And it's also okay that um, there's always going to be a set of things you're going to need to do that you just have to do because they're part of the territory. Yes. But when you can, over time, gravitate toward those strengths. I think that's an important thing to do. Amen. And I, I also have seen that when people are functioning in their strengths, I mean, for example, um, there are, I was responsible at one time for cleaning the church. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, not my strength. <laughs> it was definitely not my strength or my ability. It was actually the worst part of my job. I just, I, I was terrible at it. It was, I just didn't like it. I didn't like anything. And if you talk to my wife, she can attest to the fact that that's not my gift. And then at, um, a couple came to our church and I know this sounds weird and I've never even, but they have the gift of cleaning. They love cleaning. They worked as janitors. Uh, I believe um, the wife worked as a janitor her whole life. And they just, they love cleaning the church. They came into the church and they're just like, she said like the first time they came in, she was just like, oh, the janitor must be on vacation because this place looks terrible. <laughs> they weren't on vacation. Uh, it was just me. Um, and uh, But that they love it. They love cleaning the church. And it was when that happened that God really showed me, wow, everybody has different gifts and abilities. And what one person might hate doesn't mean everybody hates it. Somebody else might love. So let's plug in people where where they're gifted and what they like doing. And this place is going to go on so much faster and so much more healthy. And so, but yeah, I think like you said, just like with our children, it's, it's taken that time to try to figure out who's gifted at what. Right. I think just slowing down and having conversations with people and talking with them about where they're at, what they're doing and what's working and what's not. Yeah. Is a big part. Let me ask you this. While you were out there at Lancaster and you had obviously over 18 years, a multitude of responsibilities, and I'm sure you were growing right with the ministry, um, what were some of the big ways that you were stretched and that God grew you while you were out there? Uh, I, I caught something from Pastor Chapel and others there that I think was important and that, that others have caught, and that is, to be on a growth curve and a learning curve personally. Mm. And so there were a lot of books being recommended, books being given to the staff, the leadership team. Um, we'd bring in people to speak to us and train us, uh, not only annually at a staff training, but also throughout the year. So sort of a, a bent toward training and growth and personal development. Um, there were a number of books I read just, sort of get personally organized. And I will say that some of that comes more naturally or quickly to people, and that's fine. But I think we all have a responsibility to do our best with the, the things we've been given. I think the principle of diligence from Proverbs sort of transcends what you might be good at or not. Mm. And uh, so we know there's value in doing things right. So I, uh, a few of the books, that I read that I thought were a blessing to me were either like David Allen's book, getting things done or a couple of books by Covey, like first things first, or um, a book like good to great. Um, or uh, some of it's leadership too. 
And uh, there were a number of books we led on just becoming a leader who's competent, responsible, and um, things by Maxwell or Blanchard or Blackaby, um, you know, sort of helped in that regard. Yeah, awesome. Just kind of getting on a growth curve. And I was telling someone earlier today that I think um, podcasts are a great place for this now today. I I kind of caught uh, on the podcast a year or two ago, and, and I'm, I'm listening to more and more, and I can't get enough. And I feel like they're not replacing books, but they, they might be replacing, you know, seminars or yeah. um, pamphlets because they're kind of a bite-sized little opportunity for growth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, for me and my generation, uh, podcasts have been a huge thing. I've been into podcasts for ever since they started, you know, because it was just a new thing. I got turned on to them, but they've been a huge growth for me. Um, yeah. listening to podcasts. Obviously I love audiobooks. I'm better at audiobooks than I am physical books. Um, but I love what you said. And, and I just, I'm so passionate about this is that we should always be obsessive learners. I think that's a stewardship issue. I think we're responsible to do that. We can never just be content where we're at. Yeah. If you're not growing, you're probably regressing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Lord's work is worthy of that diligence. Amen. Amen. Applying itself. Uh, in 2015, you transitioned to to uh, from out there at Lancaster, which is a very large church and a very large ministry, and you ended up transitioning to Bible Baptist Church in Howell, Michigan. Uh, what was that like, and how did the Lord lead you in that direction? Well, it, it was very—it could not be more different because, of course, geographically, very different place, but also Lancaster is a very large church with a large staff and fruitful um, ministry, and— Bible Baptist was a small group of people looking to be mobilized and, you know, hopefully write a new chapter for um, the work of the Lord here in Livingston County, Michigan. And uh, it was the result of a few years, really, of just sort of praying and thinking and talking, having some really interesting conversations with Pastor Chapel about my future. And I was conflicted, really, for a couple of years mm. on thinking— it was such a blessing to be a part of Lancaster Baptist and such a rewarding experience. And it was uh, such a, a fruitful ministry that I felt I shouldn't take lightly the idea of stepping away from that. Yeah. But in my heart, there was just this recurring uh, sense that leading a flock, um, preaching in the pulpit on, on Sundays to, to, to a congregation of people, was the the transcendent calling that God was preparing me for and leading me toward. And I had always believed that, but I had sort of set it aside as I served in California. And I was serving in a pastoral role, so I was exercising pastoral function. Sure. And, and I wasn't not fulfilling my call, but, but those core pieces of it, which would be leading the flock and preaching the word, were those two, two items that I, I couldn't get away from this appetite I had for it. And I spent a couple of years talking with the Lord, seeking counsel, reading some books on discerning the will of God mm. and on the role of the pastor to make sure that this itch, if you will, was from the Holy Spirit yeah. and part of purpose for my life rather than just some ambitious thing or some self-willed thing because it's what I wanted to do mm. because it mean being my own boss or having more freedom or um, something of that nature. So I really had to check that out. And, and I asked people who knew me and who knew the ministry in Lancaster and who uh, knew pastoring to tell me if I was crazy, you know, and I tried to give the Lord every opportunity. And I actually um, was in, I had this, I started this conversation with Pastor Chapel in 2012 and then, and then ended up staying for three more years. Um, and I do believe that was in the will of God. Mm. Uh, and, and that, that was the right thing to do at the time, but it was just all part of the larger process. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for every minute I'm there. I, I just wouldn't trade any of the days or weeks I was there. But then again, I have been so deeply grateful and cherished every day and week that I've been here now for four and a half years. And I, and I do, in hindsight, feel that um, what's happened in my life and the life of this church and as Lancaster Baptist has continued to go forward, it has validated the fact that I was, by God's grace, able to do exactly what he wanted me to do, exactly when he wanted me to do it. And 
land where he wanted me to land. And I, I think that's, uh, that's all governed by the providence and sovereignty of God, but it's something that we shouldn't take lightly and that we should walk carefully through. And uh, I'm grateful for, for God's grace throughout that process. It was different because I, I went from a large, busy staff to a place where when I showed up for work each day, it was just me and the four walls, you yeah. know? And, um, I had to find, you know, had to find things. And uh, we had we had a wonderful, wonderful core group of people that, that I inherited, quote unquote. Um, there were 35 active members in the church who voted to have us come. And those people um, are some of the most precious people in the world, I could say now, um, who were very supportive, who were open to new ideas, who um, welcomed us and have you know, sort of walked with us through um, the last four and a half years. So as you said, and I think that's just a, such a great transition, is you went from a, a, a ministry that obviously you just can't grow to the size of Lancaster without learning structure, I mean, uh, learning processes, and you just, it, you physically can't do it. And so you go from uh, out there to a small uh, little church, which is why I'm so excited about what we're going to be talking about, because you just, you have both contexts. You understand one side you know, what it's like to be on that big side, but then also how to take what you learn and apply it to local church ministry. And obviously that's a local church ministry out there, but I'm talking like, you know, maybe more normal sized uh, churches. So let me ask you this. Why is it so important for a church to take organization of its ministries seriously, in your opinion? Well, because the principle of doing the work of the Lord decently and in order, which is what Paul told the Corinthian believers in chapter 14, verse 40 of 1 Corinthians, is a scalable principle. And so whether you're going from 35 to 275, or whether you're going from 500 to 750, or 2,000 to 3,000, um, the same level of processes and administration isn't required. But this, some of the inherent principle mm. need to break things down into steps and do the work with excellence and diligence one person at a time is, is there. And I, I think the gospel is worth doing well and right. Um, our Lord um, is worthy of our best. And I think um, the principle of stewardship that he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And Jesus taught us that if we would be faithful and diligent with what he entrusts us, he will entrust us with more work or more responsibility or more resources for his kingdom. And I just think that's what I've always wanted as a member of his kingdom and as a you know citizen of his kingdom is to, um, to do well and to do right by what he's entrusted to me. Amen. So that's... I, that applies in any size church. And uh, so, so let me ask you this, what are, you know, I can't, we kind of already talked about giftedness and different people have different gifting and abilities. And some people, I think we both recognize and everybody just understands that some people are just more gifted when it comes to organization processes, structure than other people. Um, I have a friend right now. Uh, like I said before, I'm very, that's just not my gifting. Um, I have, I have another friend I was talking to. He's like, I just love processes. He's like, sometimes on Saturdays, I just lay in bed when I wake up and just sketch out processes of things we could do better. And I was like, dude, you are blowing my mind. That's like <laughs> torment for me. So what would you say to those people that maybe are more gifted at organization? This is their giftedness. What are some of their weaknesses that they might struggle with? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, flexibility. Mm which that's another thing you need in ministry is flexibility, um, humility, uh, and people skills, soft people skills. Mm. So, and that's why I think it's so important to acknowledge that being gifted administratively is not the answer. Yeah. It's just part, it's just part of a larger equation. So if, if administration comes naturally to someone, probably they need to make sure they work at shoring up some other areas of healthy ministry behavior, like flexibility, humility, uh, patience with people. Mm. Um, 
and their own stress level and the stress level of those around them. Whereas somebody else who's just really great with people, who's the life of the party, who's really quick to have a magnetic personality, that person might need to work on being more administratively minded so some of those great people don't slip through the cracks yes. or so the work of the Lord doesn't that isn't hindered from going forward. So regardless of which area you're gifted, just like First Corinthians 12 says, you don't look at the other strengths and say that we don't need those. You know, it's a package. And uh, we all should be well-rounded, and then we should all work together with others who are also well-rounded. Mm. Uh, so, you know, so that's the side of people that are more gifted. So, so you're, would you say, I'm trying to, nutshell what you said people that are more gifted in organization processes and structure probably tend to be a little bit weaker on the one-on-one -on -one that um and and i can see it because i'm thinking right now if i was structured i would say why don't you people get this <laughs> it's so it's so obvious to me because i'm on the other side and that and i was just telling you i think before we might have started recording this that's such a weakness i can see where i'm at i can see what needs to be done in the future but i for some reason my brain just doesn't work to see the pieces that need to go in place to get there so i can see when that is your gifted you're just like why don't people get this <laughs> for sure or i'll say another thing administrative people have to work on is communication hmm. because you've seen the flow chart once and you know how to get you, you get it. Along through the steps and through the process, and that's a problem. Yeah, you know, people need to be led and encouraged and and uh, communicated with. So, so let me ask you this: on the other side, so somebody that's more my style, what what do we do to uh, you know? What advice would you give people like me that are not necessarily gifted at this? Well, I would say uh, do some homework and have some trial and error. Uh, I would say listen to some podcasts uh, on the topics, read some books on the topics, read some blog posts on the topics, and just try to take steps toward, you might not know, you used an example a minute ago, I know where I'm at maybe, and I know where I want to get maybe, but I can't see all the steps. You might not know step five or 10, but can you identify what step one is? Mm. And, and just take the next step, and then it might be you're going to kind of make up the journey as you go, and step three will be more clearly once you've arrived at step two. And, uh, you know, so I think learning to break things down, practice is a big part of it too, mm. you know. I would say identify where in your realm of responsibility is there a need and then do some homework on that realm and probably the steps will become more clear. For example, if you're responsible for the children's ministry, find some resources on children's ministry that you can read. If you're responsible for youth ministry, if you're responsible for music ministry or the assimilation ministry or the the hospitality slash greeting ministry, there are places you can go to find resources by people online, either printed materials or podcasts or blogs, that you can do some homework in that area. And as you do the homework, the steps will appear. Because I, th I think that was my journey, was I just tried to do some homework on some areas, go to some conferences. I think back then um, I would do I would buy like seminars that were CDs and handouts that come in the mail. Yeah. And you those in and listen to them and take notes and uh, you just kind of kind of do your homework um let me ask you this because i just thought about this because this has been a struggle for me what do you do if you're in leadership and you're to the point where you you just don't have the bandwidth with your own personal responsibilities with the things you're trying to keep organized but you don't really have the time to help individuals organize their ministries, although you see that ministry needs to be organized and you can tell they're not gifted at organization. Um, how do you help them without, you know, taking up too much bandwidth? Cause you know, I know you, you got to put messages together. You have, you have all your normal responsibilities, but you need to help them grow. How do you do that? That's a great question. Uh, and the answer is, um, I think multifaceted, <clears throat> 
nudge them along, be patient with them, uh, give them some resources, give them a book to read, show them a podcast they can listen to, uh, give them an article to read, uh, talk them through it. Co- I think this is coaching <clears throat> and you have to make time for that. Mm. And, uh, the fact is there's going to be people who are gifted, who work with us and serve with us, who administration doesn't come natural to. And that's okay because the strengths they bring uh, outweigh that thing that may be lacking. So what you have to do is you have to be patient with them, come alongside of them, coach them. And then hopefully they care enough about the ministry and the work and the calling and the purpose that we've been given to roll up their sleeves and, and sort of respond to that coaching. Mm. Let me ask you this, because this just popped into my head too, as I was thinking, because as you're talking, I'm just thinking through our own ministry. Uh, what do you do when you have somebody, and I'm just going to call them a superstar, right? It doesn't matter what you give them. They just do a fantastic job. You know, I think a tendency for me, and this is something I'm always trying to be careful of is I just want to give them everything because I just know it'll get done. And I know that they'll do a great job, but I, we just can't do that because we don't want to burn them out. And so where do you find that balance between utilizing someone and I'll just call it a superstar. They're just great at everything that you do, but you don't want to burn them out. You don't want to just put too much on them. Obviously they're all volunteers. So how do you find that balance, which with really utilizing people that are gifted, but then still not over utilizing them? Yeah, I think uh, asking them, having open conversations with them is the key because it is true that some people do have a larger capacity than other people. And again, that's not because they're better. They're just different. Yeah. Uh, the people who have a smaller capacity may have some other strength that they bring that we don't even aren't even aware of. So I think um, just being mindful of the fact that you don't want to rob other people of the privilege of having responsibility and of serving and being used to the Lord and having open conversations with that person about where are you at with respect to your load and should something be given to someone else so that you can take something new. I, I, I did see that happen a lot effectively over the years was uh, the superstar quote unquote might give birth to something or pioneer something. And then once it's up and going, it can be handed to someone else so that that person can pioneer something else. Hmm. So that's, that's acceptable and appropriate too. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, I think that's super good advice. Uh, you know, some people are just gifted at getting ministries up off the ground, Yeah, but they're not really that gifted at sustaining them. And some other people are better at sustaining them than the person getting right. it up off the ground. So, uh, utilizing people in their own giftedness. Let me ask you this. Do you think there are, and I'll just say the word again, superstars that just haven't been found and you know, they're looking and they're like, Oh, all these people. But I think it goes back to your coaching thing that if, if, you know, you were able to build that skill that you could draw that out more. Absolutely. Uh, and you have to be willing to have some trial and error with people to find out who they are, mm. because I guarantee you they are in our churches and we are not tapping them with and for the responsibility that they are worthy to be tapped of mm. or for. So, so give me an example of what that looks like. What does it look like a trial and error? You know, you got Joe, you got Lisa, I don't know. And you, you want to find out, do they have that potential? Where do you start with that? I think you start with some open conversations and talking about expectations and asking what kind of appetite people have. And I think anytime you're in a group setting, whether it's an adult Sunday school class or a small group or a new members class or a Sunday service even, I think talking about needs that the fact that the church always has needs to be filled and asking people to respond because the people who respond, I think three quarters of the time, are going to be the ones you were looking for. Right. And 100% of the time, that's what everybody's afraid of. But you have to take that risk to draw out the people that do become the people you can tap for more responsibility and who are going to do a, do a far better job than you ever realized and dreamed they would do. And I think um, having open conversations with people, being slow, being quick to start the conversation, but slow to sort of finalize the role. Sometimes people give people a job to do 
too quickly mm-hmm. or or they say that it's it's forever you know and i think you can slow down and say let's have a conversation about it let's talk about expectations let's flush out a job description let's do some trial and error or let's give you a why don't you do it for this spring and then we'll revisit this again in the summer and see if this is a good fit that gives you an opportunity to kind of uh, step back if you need to step back or proceed if it's time to proceed um and and just talk to people about the fact that <clears throat> it's okay if you're you do different things over the course of your time in in the work of the lord and uh not everybody it's not always going to be an automatic fit every time but we 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 go ahead and know the risks associated with that and get people deployed get people serving <clears throat> and i think if we don't take ourselves too seriously and don't wear our feelings on our shoulders and don't thin skin we can <clears throat> say okay well this maybe didn't work as good let's try something else you know so okay so say that again um where you know you're bringing joe and you're like joe i think you would do great at such and such you're having that conversation before you trigger that i want you to just kind of flush that out a little bit you come up with a job description you come up with expectations kind of share what do you mean by that yeah yeah i think we've all been there where you had expectations in your mind of what it was going to be for someone to serve as a Sunday school teacher or as a deacon or as the, the greeter lead. And then it was obvious to you, but you never explained it to them. So you got to get that on paper. <clears throat> for example, if someone's going to be a Sunday school teacher, how often are they going to go on vacation or, um, you know, things of that nature? Uh, if someone, what are they going to prepare? You know, there are things that we take for granted that we need to spell out bullet points for people and give people time to think about it and give people the chance to say it's not the right time or I don't think that's a fit for me um, rather than sort of coercing them into something that's not a good fit that's just going to frustrate everyone involved. So, yeah, I think conversations and then you meet with them, you go over the expectations. You give them a chance to pray about it and think about it for a week or so before they say yes, and then get them going. Man, that was super helpful. I mean, because that's I, I do a lot of that, like asking people to take on roles or whatever, and I, I've never done that. And I'm kind of disappointed in myself. That That is super helpful. I mean, honestly, that is super helpful for me. Clearly define the role. What does that mean? Because there's been times where... I mean, in my mind, and I felt like even in talking to the person, I felt like it was clearly communicated what was expected, but it just wasn't. And they just saw something totally different than I did. And that's where uh, on-the-job training is going to happen, too, because there's going to be a little of that no matter how hard you try. Yeah. So. Very cool. Let me ask you this. So, you know, we're at our church. We have this new ministry we want to start. We've kind of talked about this a little bit already, but, you know, and and I don't know, let's say it's a children's ministry or a missionary ministry. I don't know. But we're starting. It doesn't even exist. We want to go from zero to a a full ministry. What are some of the steps we'd walk through in that? Well, I would put together a plan. And before you can put together the plan— you need to do some homework on how would this new ministry, um, how would we define success or what does it look like once it's up and going? And you might not even know the answer to that question yet. And so there's a, there's a period of time that I would describe as discovery or homework. And you're going to look online. You're going to see what people have written on this topic or what people are saying about this topic. Who else? You're going to call somebody and say, hey, you're doing this. We'd like to do it. What does it look like? And I, I can think of a few examples of that for us right now. Um, we started having a presence in the public schools last year at the high school. And so we needed to have some conversations like that. That's a good example of kind of starting a ministry. Um there's the discovery and the homework then there's putting together the plan and then there's finding finding people who are interested in being a part of it and then having those conversations with those individuals and i think we need to be careful not to get into the paralysis of analysis where we're just always talking about it and thinking about it and never kicking it off yeah that's 
one mistake we make. And the other side of the mistake is we didn't prepare well enough. And so it crashes before it gets off the ground and people are frustrated. So I think there's probably a balance there on the preparation side, how much preparation is good. And I think it's always going to be, it's going to be months, not days or weeks probably, but months shouldn't turn into years, you know? Yeah. So. Let me ask you this. Let's say a church, you know, uh, the leader or who, who's ever in charge here, they're like, yeah, we get it. We need to get more organized. Um, that's something that we struggle with. We need more structure. What would you say are the big areas that would be important to start with? Because there's so many facets of the ministry, right? You got children's ministry, you got music, you have mission. I mean, there's just so many. They're like, we're disorganized. What would you say are the big rocks to start with? Well, I can think of five or six systems deserve being organized. And I would say the two that would probably yield the biggest return on investment for any effort that you would uh, exert would be assimilation. And when I say assimilation, that sort of has a few subcategories. That involves how you welcome people. It involves, and that might include greeters, ushers, welcome center attendants, parking lot attendants, etc. cetera. Uh, it involves how you welcome people, but it also involves how you follow up with people. And that includes how you capture their information, how you greet guests, how you uh, solicit information, and what you do to follow up with them. And then it also involves sort of leading people through a membership process to, or toward baptism or membership. So... That whole assimilation process, which is commonly known as how you turn first-time guests into fully engaged members, anything you could do in that regard would be super helpful. And the second category would be your volunteer teams. I think in our churches, there are people who are willing to get involved who we haven't mobilized. And I also think there are people who are on autopilot. And if you don't have a training meeting for every category or every team of your volunteers a couple times a year, you could pretty much guarantee they're not functioning at a level of excellence they could be. Hmm. People need to be trained. And that's, I think, what Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 are talking about, among other things. One of the things that's included in that idea of perfecting or equipping the saints for the work of the ministry is as pastors, we, we are responsible to train people and to give people the resources and tools to do the work of the ministry in a way that is fruitful and um, accomplishes all it can for the glory of God. So I would say volunteer training. So do you need to, do you need to um, recruit new volunteers for some areas? And then do you need to have a meeting with those you recruit and those who are already serving? So like, uh, two Saturdays ago or three Saturdays ago, we had a breakfast meeting with all of our ushers. And with the dozen or 15 guys that were at the meeting, uh, three or four of them were brand new. Uh, because we asked them, would you be interested in serving as an usher? And we asked ourselves before that training meeting, what's working well and what's driving us crazy and what needs to improve? You know, So during that meeting, uh, Pastor John talked with them about what we want to do and how we want to do it better. And so our ushers took a step up. So there's more people serving. Uh, there's people serving who were sitting and they're doing a better job at serving. Now what's going to happen because of the second law of thermodynamics inertia is about six months from now, we're going to need to do another meeting like that. Yeah. You know? uh, so then this past Saturday, we had the same type of meeting with 20 greeters. And these are our greeters and uh, about, Five or six of them were new, and a dozen or so of them were people who were already serving. And we talked about areas that we're going to improve as well. So I think each category, children's ministry, nursery workers, um, et cetera. Uh, music ministry is a big one, obviously. And um, we need to have that volunteer training. When it, I want to go back to assimilation real quick and just mention, if assimilation is kind of a foreign concept to you, there's a lot of resources out there. Uh, I would say the two authors that have influenced me the most uh, on the idea of effective assimilation would be Tom Rainer and Nelson Searcy. 
Circe has a book called Fusion that I think is a pretty important little read when it comes to assimilation. Uh, and of course, there are other resources out there as well. But um, when it comes to assimilation, that's kind of when I talk about doing your homework. Those are a couple areas that I think if someone would apply some structure to other areas in the church would include outreach, worship slash music, uh, small groups or uh, Sunday school, uh, children's ministry, of course, youth ministry. So I think every one of those areas I just mentioned, if you apply some strategy and if you apply some structure or processes, and it doesn't have to be elaborate, um, but just some simple bullet points or some simple steps, uh, you're probably going to see fruit from that, uh, just based on my experience. Pastor Chapel used to say that churches make a mistake when they do ministry without structure mm. or when they have goals without strategy, because the structure and the strategy is sort of how things come into a reality. Mm. I don't want to underestimate. I don't want to understate the fact that all of this depends on the Lord's grace and the Holy Spirit being at work. That's hopefully understood Mm. but man that's super helpful so if you're out there and you you realize this need the big one to start with and and why would you say a simulation is probably one of the the big first ones to start with uh because uh, our churches automatically don't do a great job with this this is one that needs an intentional approach and it is how church growth happens so I don't want to underestimate the other things that need to be present. I'm assuming that there's, you know, Christ honoring worship. I'm assuming that there's biblical preaching. I'm assuming that there's, um, you know, a biblical framework for ministry, but those things being equal assimilation is literally how church growth happens. Yeah. Uh, because it's where people who come in the doors turn into longtime participants. It's how, it's how you get people coming back. A lot of churches are really effective at getting people to visit one time, but not as effective at seeing those people move along the pathway of what's commonly known uh, as assimilation. Hmm. So uh, I think it's, it's an area that's being neglected in most churches. Yeah. Why do you think it's an area being neglected? Do you think churches are naturally uh, just start becoming inward focused? Yeah, I think human nature is to blame. Yeah. And I think we just generally, oh, who, who's doing this work? People who've been in the same church for a long time or around church for a long time. Right. And so we inherently do not think about how extraordinary it is for someone to come to a church for the first time. Hmm. And we, it's been so long since we were ever in that, in those shoes. We just don't think about them. Yeah. And we don't think about what a huge hill it is to climb for someone who's either unchurched or unsaved or new to an area uh, to go through that process of getting online and driving around town and going through that effort of walking in the doors of churches that they they don't know anybody and no one knows them. It's just a it's just a huge thing that that people have to do. That is very it's one of the most uncomfortable, stressful things people do is visit a church, and and then we sometimes just think it's automatically going to happen right. because we're prayed up or preaching the word. But you know. <clears throat> I've seen enough ministry to know it, it doesn't happen automatically. It requires intentionality. And I think that's even part of what's meant when Paul talks about being given to hospitality. Mm. It is, and, and when he talks about leading people and shepherding people, what does a shepherd do? It's, there's a lot of intentionality that's, yeah. I think, uh, required that we don't pick up on naturally. So I agree with you 100%, and I think 100% our church is weak, or like our personal church where I go to is weak on this, and this has been a conversation that we've been having for a while. Like, this is something we've got to step up in, we got to develop in, and um, we've just gotten so comfortable. You know, like like you said, for me, 
I don't even know what it's like. I grew up in our church, so I don't even know what it's like, you know, either being unsaved or, or I've visited, you know, I haven't visited like hundreds of churches in my life. It's just a handful because I grew up here. I now serve on staff. So, you know, I always got to try to make sure that's part of my mind. What does it look like when a first time guest come in? What are they going through? What do I feel like when I go somewhere that I'm unfamiliar with someone's house I've never been to or whatever, and really flush that out and think through it. And I think that's just would just be a responsible and loving thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. It's um, it's practicing Philippians 2, verses uh, 3 and 4, where it says that we should not just be concerned about ourselves, but also the interests of others. You know? Amen, amen. So I, I think that's something, I mean, you you struck a nerve there, because that's definitely something that I actually got fusion on my on my. Um, uh, on my bookshelf, and it's it's one I, I've got to dive in, and that's a big rock that we're hopefully this year want to really um, become more serious about is a simulation and, and visitors and guests and all that type of stuff. Let me ask you this. What would you say to someone that says, Tim, you are going to organize the Holy Spirit right out of this church? And, and I've heard comments like that and people that would say, you know, hey, we don't want to get too organized around here because we still want the Holy Spirit to move when he needs to. And uh, is this a ridiculous statement, or is there a hint of truth to this statement? I have not seen it become true in many places, because usually the people that are giving attention to doing the work of the Lord decently and in order are also people who are behind the scenes early in the mornings, walking with God and pleading with the presence and the, and the, and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So I think where it could be true is if you are going to rely on your organization to produce the results and therefore think foolishly that you don't need to seek the Lord and depend on the Lord. Or um, if you, uh, you know, neglected a real pursuit of the Holy Spirit's ministry, or if you were really impatient and rigid with the people around you. Yes, it could be stifling. But as long as you, as long as you guard against that, I think the greater likelihood is that the Holy Spirit is grieved through our carelessness mm. and not giving the ministry the attention it deserves, rather than thinking that we've not allowed room for the Holy Spirit. So I think as long as you stay flexible and that you don't become obsessive compulsive about people complying with your plan. I think the intentionality is going to bear fruit. Mm. Only we know our own hearts as to whether or not we're walking with the Lord. My life verse is John fifteen five, where Jesus says, "Without me, you can do nothing." Amen. And uh, we need He as the vine to produce the life, um, because our efforts certainly, of course, will not apart from His enabling grace. Amen. Paul said, "I labored more abundantly than mm. they all," but he said it wasn't me; it was the Lord who did it in me. You know, so I think there's a divine synergy there. Amen. I had a friend uh, say something like that to me when I was talking about, you know, getting more organized and structured. They said something like that. And, um, you know, I told them, I said, you know, I would actually argue the exact opposite because I feel like the more organized you are, you can understand when the Holy Spirit's leading you to step outside of the already, you know, boundaries that you had already set and that you actually know why you're stepping out of it, right? You know, it's, it's the principle of know what the rule is before you break it. So if you're breaking it, you're doing it on purpose and there's intentionality behind it instead of just being scattered and disorganized and saying like, I just feel the Holy Spirit leading us to do this, but it's really because you don't have a plan in place. Yeah, exactly. If you're shooting from the hip and making it up as you go along, let's not blame that on the Holy Spirit. Yes, okay? exactly. <laughs> okay, we're getting near the end here. This has been an incredible conversation. Uh, but the, one more thing I kind of want to ask you, just because I know this is a struggle and something that we've struggled with, and, and I'm sure everybody is going to struggle with as you're trying to lead to become more organized, which always means whenever you become more organized, in my opinion, Uh, things have to become more structured and you lose some liberties and freedoms that you might 
have had once, right? You can't just start at whatever time you want to start. You got to start at this time. So, so people do tend to lose some freedoms. I've seen this in our nursery ministry. We've tried to become more organized and we've tried to make things safer in our nursery ministry, which has implemented some new policies that we've had to put in place. Uh, and some people had a really hard time. They're like, Hey, we've never done this before. Why do we have to, you know, sign these kids in and do all of these things? So let me ask you this. How do you lead people in your ministry when you're trying to become more organized and structured? Because I know this can be difficult for people to get used to this. So how do you lead people to understand the significance and the benefit and, and help coach and bring them along in this process? You have to get people convinced as to the reason we want to do a great job before you tell them what doing a great job looks like. So I think we have to ask our church, do we want to be a church where when families with little kids are looking for a church, they end up in ours? Do we believe we have the message they need? Do we believe we we have the gospel and the answers and the philosophy of of biblical living and nurturing of their children that, that this is the church where they should end up? Okay, so then is it, acceptable that there are some things we could do with a greater level of excellence to increase the likelihood that we get the privilege of ministering to those fam- young families. So I think before I was talking to our church about let's do this differently, let's do that differently, I was talking to our church about let's be a church that sees people saved and baptized and discipled one person at a time and growing in their faith and then talking to the church about the fact that here's something we could do a little differently, even though that might leave our comfort zone a little bit, but it'll be worth it because of the fruit that's a result of it. So I think we need to talk about the reason before we talk about the details. Mm, and help kind of just bring people along in that, if they the, the why behind the what, right? And so exactly. under, understanding why are we doing what we're doing. Let me ask you this. Do you have any uh, final resources that have been helpful? I know we've already kind of mentioned some. I've written them down. I'm going to try to put these in the show notes. But do you have any more resources that you would recommend people going to if they want to develop in this area of their life? I think from a church ministry perspective, a couple of authors that I have enjoyed over the years have been uh, Gary McIntosh, George Barna, these are people that speak to the larger, you know, Christian community, mm-hmm. not representative of the specific philosophy of ministry that we would have, but some of the transcendent principles on working with people and connecting with people. Um, Ed Stetzer would be another example in that regard. Um, uh, and, and so those would be just a few. Striving Together has some great resources uh, at strivingtogether.com and at the Ministry 127 site. Um, but, uh, I would just, I think, uh, that it's okay to be widely read yeah. and look for ideas from people who maybe have a little bit of a different approach, but some of the principles on how to connect with guests and how to, um, be effective in the work of the church are going to transcend some of those more preferential or, uh, philosophical areas. Awesome. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to talk with us. Do you got any last words for our listeners before you go? I think when we uh, give attention to uh, doing ministry at a level of excellence, that that resonates with people and that it actually serves as a, as a magnetic influence toward mm-hmm. people. Uh, <clears throat> you can see that in our culture and in our society. I think uh, it's it's a it's a way to be more effective. Um, and, and I think when you give attention to doing a little more behind the scenes on structure, processes, communication, training, <clears throat> leading people, working with people, I think uh, the idea is you're going to see the kingdom of God advance. You're going to see souls saved and lives changed and people helped. And that is the reason you do it. You don't read, you don't, you don't do it because you want to have a shiny binder on a shelf with organizational charts. You do it because you want to see the, the, the look in the face of the people whose lives are changed and who will be in eternity with us forever. And um, I would just also say that 
people, volunteers, churches rely on volunteers more than anything else in the world relies on volunteers. And when those volunteers feel that they are being equipped and trained and having uh, being supported and led, they're going to be more effective Amen. and they're also going to be uh, happier in the ministry yeah. or more, more fulfilled in the ministry as they serve. So I think there's a lot of reasons for all that. Amen. So really uh, becoming more organized, it, it's all tied back to the gospel, right? The more organized, the more effective we can be at it, communicating the gospel, reaching people with the gospel. And then, like you said, the first two big rocks of simulation and volunteers, the more organized you are, the happier volunteers are. And really what you're doing is you're strengthening them as Christians. Right. So they'll, they'll be healthier Christians. They'll, they'll, I mean, just like me, there's so many things in my life that I do that if I wasn't serving in the ministry in the areas I am, I probably just wouldn't do them, but it's forced me to grow spiritually. It's forced me to grow mentally and in different abilities so that I could more effectively serve the Lord. So you investing in your volunteers could be what God wants to use to help them grow in their own spiritual life. And, uh, I've seen it happen so many times, people that maybe just have been, I, I guess, I don't know what to call them, but just, you know, pew sitters or chair sitters. And uh, once they got engaged and you plugged them into an area, they become some of the most loyal, faithful members that you have when before they were just occasionally coming to church. Now, now I look at them as pillars in our ministry. And so what could God do through the members of your church that just aren't being utilized right now? A simulation and volunteers, take a look at that and, and just start make those the first two big rocks you start looking at. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the podcast today. I hope this podcast has been a help to you. I hope that it's been encouraging. I'm telling you guys, I told you before, this is one of my biggest areas of weaknesses. And so um, for me, I'm definitely going to be going back over this podcast and I'm going to be re-listening and jotting down more notes of ways that we can improve and get better. And I hope uh, this has been a help to you as well. Uh, this is the Ministry Minds Podcast. Once again, my name is Ben White. Thank you so much for joining us. If you appreciated this podcast today, if you could jump online, rate and review the podcast, it'll help get this incredible message that we had today on uh, structure and organization, which I'll be honest, I think this is something that all churches need to grow in. I don't know a church that would say we don't need to grow in this process. So this has been super helpful, super practical advice today. Um, rate and review. This message will get out there to more people, which ultimately leads to the gospel being more clearly communicated to a lost and dying world. Uh, if you have, if you want to contact me, you can contact me through the website, ministryminds.co. Email me directly, Ben White at ministryminds.co. Thank you once again for coming. I will see you here again next time. Peace. <laughs>